And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Howdy, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, just a few miles from where I'm sitting in my home in downtown Stanford, ready to call Bruin Sabres tonight, is AJ Malesko, my co-host. How are you, AJ? I am good. I know it's sort of too bad we can't do this uh, do this in person, right? Might be a little bit easier, <laughs> but happy to be in, in your neck of the wood and sad to miss the, the Isles game tonight, though. It's going to be a big one, and we'll get to talking about that in a little bit. But uh, as we usually do, we'll take a look back and um, kind of a, a bit of a cringe face on at the, <laughs> the last few Islander games. Um, you know, a couple really bad ones in Boston, and then uh, kind of, you know, Maybe the two most important points they've gotten all year against Philly. Can you imagine going into this game tonight against the Rangers, having lost three in a row in regulation, which was certainly possible given the way they played against the Flyers, and facing a Ranger team that's the hottest team in the division, that they have three games left with, and they'd only be six points ahead. It would have been would have been kind of disaster mode right now. It would not have been great. Um, and I will say that we, we have said this before on the pod, and I'll reiterate it, that you know what, it's great to see a team like the Islanders that is a great team and they have so many great uh, attributes and they have depth and the pieces that they brought into the deadline, the fact that they're still able to win games and get those critical two points when they don't play their best is fantastic. Now, it's not sustainable, but it's fantastic, right? They come from that the two stinkers they, they had against Boston, Um tough for you and I covering this team when they have games like that, because we have to try to try to figure out, you know, how to, how to talk about it, how to analyze it. And then, and then Sunday night, you're right. I mean, especially the first period was just watching that thinking, Oh boy, this is, this is just not trending in the right way. And then thank goodness for Sorokin. Thank, thank goodness for their third period uh, trends of, of being pretty good or better at least. And then, uh, and then the a funny bounce that they'll take any day. Yeah, it is tough to talk about it, but that's why we get paid the big bucks here. That's so, our jobs, right? So let's look, uh, you know, what did you think over those three games um, was kind of the big, the biggest, most glaring issue to you? Uh, execution, really. I mean, you, you watch some of the, and maybe that some of that comes down to competitive, you being competitive. So you come out there and, you know, we talked about it a little bit, Shannon and I on the show is that you, you face a Bruins team that nobody would have thought going into this season that coming into the, down the playoff stretch, that the Bruins would be in desperation mode, but they were, and they have, they are, uh, I mean, they're, they're certainly trending in the right direction right now. And, and I wouldn't ever count them out for anything just based on the way they're playing and the way they're built, but they were in desperation mode with the still are with Rangers nipping at their heels and the Islanders, to me, just played a sort of a complacent game. And that surprises me um, based on the way Barry Trotz coaches, the way, you know, having Andrews Lee out. I know he's been out for a while, but then you bring in these these pieces in um, in Zajac and Palmieri 
And I just, to me, it was more, they were just sort of missing on things and some of the details. And we, we've talked about that a lot. And one of the things I, I highlighted in the intermission was sometimes the details of like, they'd get pinned in their end, for example, for a minute and a half, which is a really long shift to be playing defense. They'd get the puck over the red line and they would try to make a move and they would lose it and come right back as opposed to at that point, chipping it in, getting it behind the opponent's defense, getting fresh legs on there and trying to establish a forecheck. So those sorts of things were missing in my opinion. And I was very surprised against Philly that they didn't come out loaded for bear in the first period based on their showing in Boston on Thursday and Friday. But again, they righted the ship. They, they, so they leaned heavily on Sorokin, which is what you do when you have a good goalie. And they were able to pull out the two points. I think, uh, you know, the Bruins games, yeah, we've, you know, those were bad ones. But if you've been an Islander fan for more than a few months, you've seen the Islanders get run over by the Bruins a lot. I've been covering this team for 10 years, and I feel like I've lost thin numbers of fingers and toes on how many times we've seen a Bruins team just completely dominate the Islanders through many different eras, even in the Barry Trotz era. That's kind of what the Bruins do. The Philly game to me was a little bit more worrisome when you think about these these last 10 games or 11 games, whatever it is, and then on into the playoffs. I know Philly's probably not going to be there, but that first period was kind of, that was Doug Waite era Islander defense, like multiple odd man rushes against multiple chances within the zone. And like you said, against the Bruins, you're going to get cycled for a while. They have some really experienced guys. Um, but as long as you don't give up too much in the in the middle of the ice, I, you're usually going to be okay. At least that's the way the Islanders try to play it when they don't have possession of the puck. Flyers game was totally different. There were chances, there were multiple chances, and they pulled themselves together at the end of the game. But um, even when you see just 20 or 25 minutes of that, it's got to be a bit of an eyebrow raiser for a team that doesn't give up chances like that. Well, and, and I think that the, now the Flyers have been an enigma to me this season, and I've covered a couple of their games um, against the Islanders and then against other opponents, too. They have the pieces. They have the skill. They have the talent. And they talk about not executing. I mean, they've they've been really struggling at times, and then they've put together great games and great sequences. So they've been sort of a tough one for me to predict. Um, And with that said, the Islanders – after coming off the game against the Bruins, I did expect them to have a lot of energy and think, you know, I mean, you had Coburn making his debut, but maybe that doesn't affect them one way or another. Um, But I think that when you have a team that is sort of, uh, they've had these big battles with them, right? You go back to the playoffs last year in the bubble in August, and then you look, I mean, six of their eight games so far this year. I think six of them have gone to overtime and correct me if I'm wrong. So they've had battles with them. So it's not like they took them lightly. It's not like they went in against Buffalo, although Buffalo's trending upward now too, but, or these teams where they maybe just took them lightly and uh, they can't really afford to do that in this, even though they're positioned well, they're solidly in the second position in the Eastern conference that can slip away really quickly with a couple bad games like Sunday night. Again, they pulled out the two points, but now they're playing against a surging Rangers team who's, who you know? Honestly, I know Islanders fans would disagree with would disagree with this statement, but for the vast majority of hockey fans, they're fun to watch right now because the offense they're putting up, their power play, things like that, and they're they seem to be really finding their groove. So they're clearly going to come into the Coliseum tonight with a ton of confidence and a ton of momentum. And the Islanders have to they have to be able to flush what happened. They have to be able to put it behind them. 
but it's still, to your point, it is, you watch that first period and I don't think they had a shot on net the first half of that first period. And that's unacceptable. They've got to figure out a way to get that offense, get it in the offensive zone. And, and I don't mean a shot from the outside. I mean, sometimes shots on goal is a, is a, uh, it's sort of a misleading category because they could have great chances and miss the net or block shot or whatnot, but still they weren't generating opportunities the way that they should have. Um, so you know, I think with a day off, I think with Barry Trotz, I think with a leadership group, and um, my understanding is Bailey is going to be back tonight, and that's a that's a big piece. I, it, even though he's a little bit quieter, a little more subtle than some of the some people may think, just having that voice in the locker room, having that presence, and then Clutterbuck is a possibility. I think game time decision from what Barry said. So you know, some of those things are coming back to play, and perhaps they're able to come out and really come out of the gates hard tonight. And I expect that, and I certainly hope it. Yeah, and it, you know we're talking about the offense. Um, I think since Palmieri and Zajac have gotten here, what, I think it's six regulation goals from uh, from the Islanders in six games, um, which is bad. You know, it's uh, they've won three. You know, they're three and three. They won two in overtime, so that's three on three goals. They won one in a shootout. Um, but other than that, I think the three games they've lost, they've scored twice. And you know, this is starting to look a little bit like it did after the deadline. I know we've, you know, there's been some some zooms where people have asked Barry about the similarities between last year post deadline and this year post deadline, where they didn't win a game before uh, the pandemic shutdown came, and and John Gabriel Paja was the big addition then, and he came out like a house on fire uh, in his first game, had a goal against the Rangers, had a fight, uh, looked like he was out of that game, and then they. Bought back, got to overtime. He was still sitting in the box when the Rangers won an OT, but it was kind of a, an eventful debut. And then they they didn't really do anything until the, the league shut down. Uh, different situation to me now because the team was playing pretty well before the deadline, and last year they were not. They were a, a sub five hundred team pretty much since since you know since New Year's last year. So that was a long standing funk. This is a little more recent. And do you attribute it to you know? bringing in two guys and trying to find spots for them this late in the year in such a crazy season? Or is it, was this kind of, do you feel like this is kind of a team wide? There's just nobody that they rely on to score. That's, that's going well right now. I think it's more team wide. And I, the reason I say that is I know that um, Lou Lamorello's reputation is that he does so he does his due diligence, right? He's not going to bring in personalities that are going to upset the apple cart in any way. Now, with that said, it's some of it's unpredictable, right? You're, you're speculating and you're, you're just taking your best guess. Um, and, and, but you know, from what all accounts are as and Paul Mary and you and I have not had a chance to be around them in person based on COVID where a normal year we would, and we could go sort of get a sense of it. Um, but by all accounts, they fit in great. They've got Andy green there. They're staying in the division. They're staying at home. There's not a huge, you know, upheaval in their lives. Uh, the fact that, you know, Bailey and Clutterbuck have missed two games. They've got these two extra pieces, you know, to me, it's all positive. Um, you know, it's interesting comparing it to last year. I do think, Last year, they were in a good position because they had gone on that 17-game run earlier in October. So they had banked a ton of critical points in the first half of the season. So when they did stumble a little bit in, in February and into March, it wasn't as uh, as damaging. Um, but I, I agree with you that it's sort of interesting that it, it coincided around the same time when Peugeot was such a good fit. And he didn't get his first win as an Islander until August. And then a first regular season win until this season, right? So that's a, it's a strange stat when you look at what he's been able to provide for the team. So 
I think when you look at this, it's tough to compare season to season just based on the fact that this is such a weird year. Um, and when you go on these little skids, and again, they're figuring out a way to get points. They're three and three, as you said, since the deadline or, or whatever it is. And they're, you know, they pulled out the two points against Philly, but they're not playing well. And I think that's more alarming when you're looking at this short 56 game season and they really only have a handful of games left. And, you know, when you're looking at, the, the remainder, like, I mean, Boston, for example, they've got a pretty easy schedule. When you look at who they have left, they do have a, um, maybe a couple games in hand, but they've got Buffalo, they've got New Jersey. I think they only have one game against um, the Capitals, you know, but they just, they don't, they, they have some of the, the, um, the teams that are on the bottom of the division left and they're surging right now. So I think for the Islanders, you, you can't take something like this lightly. You can't just say, okay, we got to, we'll come out of this. We'll get out of this funk and back to Barry Trotz, you know, in his 82 game season, he would always say, you know, it's about the process, not the result. Well, it's not now. It is clearly about the result, solely about the result. Hopefully their process is in position so that they can get the results they're looking for. And, and really, I mean, time is of the essence right now for these guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so we look back. Not a, not great. Uh, and now we're looking ahead. Rangers tonight and then three straight against the Caps. Um, and then two more against the Rangers, two against Jer- uh, two against the Sabres, two against Jersey, one against Boston, and then suddenly the season's over. So, um, you know, fans are wringing their hands. Perfectly justified. Uh, I've seen a lot of Islander fan hand-wringing in my days. Uh, this one is perfectly acceptable considering the way they've been playing. I, like I said, I think that getting that second point out of the game against Philly was huge uh, on Sunday. Um, gives them a little bit more breathing room with these games against the Rangers and the Capitals, but you want to see them get on a little bit of a roll here against two teams, one Capitals top of the division Rangers hottest team in the, in the division. Um, you know, who needs to raise their game this, this, these coming couple of weeks before we get to the playoffs in your mind. And, and I'm thinking particularly of a guy who wears number 13 that I (laughs) little birdie told me that you were. You were very critical of him, and frankly, he deserved it. I mean, it was a national game against Philly on Sunday, and the only time I ever heard Pierre Maguire mention his name was when he was kind of guffawing at some of the ridiculous turnovers that Barzell was making. Yeah, you know, I, so I, I would I, I agree with you. He's the face of the franchise, and he's a superstar. He is an elite, elite talent. Uh, I mean, it, it, the incredible things that you and I, specifically and Islander fans, are lucky enough to watch him do 
you know, we, we get to see night in and night out these crazy goals that he scores, these highlight reels, end-to-end rushes, or these passes that he sets up, just the visionary, right? The way he moves on his edges, you know, just even as a technically looking at the way that he moves on his skates and the way that he moves more east-west sometimes, and then he can explode north-south, right? So there's all these amazing things about him. But the and, he, and generally, in the over the last couple of years, he really does rise to big games. So when, you know, he's playing back when they, when it was a normal schedule and he would play against, uh, you know, Connor McDavid or he'd play against Austin Matthews, he would raise his game. And I remember a game, I think he had four points, three goals and an assist. And I might be wrong, but I, uh, up in Toronto, it's right around a New Year's game. Like, you know, he just, he has this knack for wanting the spotlight rising, rising to the occasion. Now, with that said, it could be that he's sort of moved over to wing a little bit. It could be just new line mates, right? With Anders Lee out, he's had some great games since Lee's been injured, but he hasn't had some any consistency. And I, I was a little rough on him, and and part of that is because I expect a lot of him, as I think all of us do. And when you're a superstar, it, the expectation comes with it. And and to me, it is the turnovers, and specifically in that game on Friday night against um, Boston. You know, I mentioned that you get pinned in the, your end and you come over the red line. Matt Barzell's not one to dump the puck in. He likes the puck on his stick. And frankly, we like the puck on his stick. He does magical things with it. But when you've been out there for a minute and a half and you lose the puck just over the red line and your tired line or tired teammates can't change, that's a bad turnover. And he would come back and, you know, and you could see sometimes you can see the way his ice time reflects what Barry Trotz thinks of the way he's playing. And I think that up until very recently, one of the ways his game has evolved under Barry Trotz has been consistency and consistently two-way, being back-checking, coming, you know, playing on the right side of the puck. And even at the beginning of this season, he was taking some face-offs and he was winning some face-offs. Now, he's got Zajac on his line sometimes, and so Zajac's really good at the draw, so they move him over to wing. I think that's a it's a little confusing, right? When you look at the way Matt Barzell plays – he is a he takes up a lot of ice and he finds the holes and he needs that freedom of being at center. Uh, so when he's on the wing, he's playing on the boards and suddenly he's playing a 180 degree game, meaning it's just on one side of him and he sort of loses that. I don't think that Barry Trotz has necessarily put him at the wing just because we see him listed there. I think the way these guys play are very interchangeable. First one back plays center, whatever it may be. So he's not in any way handcuffing him, but I've seen that a little bit, that he's gone off to the side, he's against the boards, and I think he's lost some of that creativity. Um, And, you know, I think the expectations on him to step it up and whether that's producing or whether that's just being responsible with the puck, either way, I'll take it. Yeah, it's uh, you know he's definitely not the only one, but when when he's not going, the offense does seem to go where he goes, and it's been pretty quiet uh, the last few games. You know, it, there's been a, some droughts too for some other guys. Brock Nelson's kind of gone a little cold, and I think when you're looking for some signs that are a little bit eyebrow raising, Nelson's had a few chances in these last few games, and uh, you know he had a couple. There was a couple two on ones, one against Boston, and I think one against Philly, and he missed the net by more than I think I've ever seen Brock Nelson miss the net by on ten total shots, and that was, you know, it, it's getting to the nitty gritty of the season, and sometimes guys go through those kind of funks. You know, I think Anthony Beauvillier, who's still a very streaky guy, and that's going to factor in when we start looking big picture about his next contract and what the Islanders think of, of having him here, he's certainly been a a crucially important guy, but his streakiness has kind of hampered him a bit. And he's definitely on one of those colder streaks right now. And I think a guy we should probably talk about a little bit is Oliver Wallstrom. 
we don't know what the lineup is going to be tonight. Like you said, Josh Bailey's coming back in from missing two games. Cal Clutterbuck might be back in. And judging by what Barry Trotz said about Oliver Wallstrom the other day, I have to think he's going to sit tonight. And uh, that's not going to sit well with a lot of the fans. But Oliver Wallstrom has no points in the last nine games. And I think worse, he really hasn't impacted the offense or the power play very much at all. And that happens with young guys. And we can debate how Barry treats young guys versus how he treats veterans. But in this case, he's probably going to sit. And do you think that's a wise choice? Uh, You know, in some ways, well, I do think it's a wise choice, uh, partly because I, I just, I think Barry Trotz is very smart about the players in and out of the lineup and he has a good read on his guys. Right. So he, um, he senses when they need it. And, and in some ways it's not as much a punishment, although it is sometimes it may be, but I don't know that it's as much of a punishment as it is. Hey, you need a reset. You need to go sit up top. You need to watch the game. The game has to teach you right now. You're out there and you're not producing. Not everybody on the team is expected to produce and score goals. Oliver Wallstrom is. That is his role. Now, he's done other things, too, which is great. And his game, we've seen the incremental improvements throughout the season, especially with the mentorship of a guy like J.G. Pajot. But, you know, you've got to watch it and see it, and especially from up top. And and again, maybe you're sitting with Anders Lee and Johnny Boychuk, and you have the mentorship of those veterans up there who can who you can learn from. Now, Oliver Wallstrom famously has this fun-loving person, a personality doesn't get down by a lot. So I think that bodes well for him. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to be streaky, right? For a while there, for about a month, I think he was leading the team in points from mid-February maybe to mid-March. Okay, so he goes cold. That happens to the best players out there. Um, you know, I think for him, it's a it, – the power play's big. He's got to figure out – I mean, he's got such a great shot. He's got such a good release. He's got – he can pick corners – He's got to make that count. Now it gets harder and harder as you, as people identify that they watch video and they adjust their power, their penalty kill rather to shadow him. So then he's got to have something else. He's got to have a way to move, to find the holes, the soft spots. He's got to be able to have a, you know, a, a pass he can make if they take that shot away. So there's little nuances, little adjustments that he's got to, as he evolves, that he's got to figure out. Um, you know, you, you talked about uh, Beauvillier being streaky. That's always been the way he is. I, I love the way he plays. I love the energy he brings. Um, I, I do think if you put him you know, it depends where you put him and where that energy is needed, right? Because he can chase down an icing. He can chip, you know, do that shot off the boards that we've seen him do and then beat them to the that bank out. But, you know, when you have Beauvillier, Pajot, and Wallstrom together, that can be a great line if they're all firing and going out there. Pajot's another one that, I mean, he had an assist, I think, on the OT goal. But, like, you know, you mentioned Brock Nelson. We've talked about Barzell, Jordan Everly. Like, when the when the offense goes stale, there's a lot of people you can point to that need to finish. I mean, that's their job, right? And they know it. They're professionals, and they know it, and they start feeling pressure, and it's how they manage that pressure. Do they grip their sticks too tightly, and therefore it's harder to come? Or are they able to rely on mental skills that they have to figure out a way to relax, take your chances and execute and not miss the net. I mean, I, these guys do miss the net a lot. Now they're going for corners, so better than sh- hitting it right at the goalie's chest, but it'd be nice if they could they could hit a hit an empty spot in the net there. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we'll wrap it up here. I, I did a, a little bit of a, a, a kind of a breakdown of some of the, the roster and lineup decisions that Barry Trotz has made uh, in a piece the other day. And since AJ, you and I are here, and we essentially love to see from the fans who always are talking about line combinations, this guy should be here, this guy should be this guy, <laughs> this guy should be on the power play, this guy shouldn't be on the power play. Let's put our uh, lineup generator hats on here, and we'll each get two cracks at it, and think of the two changes, whether it's line combinations, power play combinations, penalty kill combinations, whatever you can think of, defense pairs the two changes that you would make when everybody's healthy. So uh, if you want me to start just to ease you into it, I can do that. Or do you want to start if you've got something good in mind? Um, I, I'll start, but I don't know right. that I have something good in mind, but I, I, <laughs> I will see time will tell. Right. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's so fun. Like it's a fun exercise to do this, right? We all put our Barry Trotz hat on and if we were in his position, we do this, this, and this. And clearly it goes, hopefully it goes without saying that, you know, there are so many other things that do go into this and so many things that go on behind the scenes that none of us know about. Even when we are allowed in the room, by the way, there's stuff that goes on, but I would, I know we saw a couple shifts of it, but I'd like to see Paul Mary up with Everly and Barzell. Uh, and just to see and give it some consistency to that line, put, put Barzell back at center and you have Everly and Palmieri and see what happens. Um, that wouldn't move. And I would, and what I would do then is I would move, um, Bavillier back with Bailey and Nelson, put the bees back together, Bailey, Brock and Bo, uh, gives it that line some speed. And I think with Bovillier up on that line, it lights a little fire under Nelson because he really goes and digs in the corner, um, and then, and then the question is whether I would put Zajac with Pajot and Wallstrom, it's sort of interesting to have two centers there, right? And they could mm-hmm. trade off. And we have seen that line together, and I don't think it's perfect. Or, you know, you you tra- again, you've got Uncle Leo, too, who was phenomenal. Uh, and by the way, side note, hats off to the Islanders uh, social team for giving him third <laughs> start right. for being the best right. uncle. That was fantastic. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, Oliver Wallstrom, still a young kid, still figuring it out. If he needs to come out and you put Leo on that line there too, I think he can be certainly effective. And then of course you keep the fourth line together. So that's, that's a lineup that I would love to see, um, and just see what happens and see, and again, how that affects the special teams and who comes out next and all those different things. There's a lot of factors to it. Um, but I, I think that could be interesting. Where, where would you start? I'm with you on Barzell being at center. He's not great in the in the faceoff circle, but I think 
he definitely feeds off that that involvement. When you're a center, you're involved in everything, and whether or not he's great at it, it does play a big part in his in his overall game. So I'm with you there, and uh, I'll I'll defer on Palmieri being there. But uh, my main uh, lineup change when everybody's healthy is I wouldn't have Travis Ajak in the top twelve right now. Um, and this is not a knock on him, but sometimes guys that fill certain roles with other teams, when you get to a team, certainly a team that's better, and he went from a team that was not good in the Devils to a team that is good in the Islanders, uh, and not necessarily complete by any means because they were missing Anders Lee, and maybe you worry about consistency in the middle six when you've got guys like Dalcall and Komarov cycling in who don't contribute a whole lot offensively. But for me, this guy is the ultimate utility guy, and I don't think that you use a utility guy every day. That's, you know, if you're thinking about baseball, that's utility guy is the guy that you put in when you have an injury or you have, a, uh, you know, a glaring need or something. And I think watching Zajac play with Barzal kind of put in my mind that Barzal doesn't need a guy like that on his off wing from from Everly. He needs He needs a bull. He needs a big guy like Anders Lee. He needs a in a china shop, break everything kind of guy like Leo. Um, and that's not Zajac. Zajac has good skills and does important stuff and takes draws and kills penalties. But I just don't see that when they're clicking, which they were for a lot of games without Anders Lee, that there's a there's a full-time role for Travis Zajac. Now, my, we, you and I are not the coach. A lot more goes into the coaching decisions than this. But And I'm sure that I'm going to be wrong on this one because I think they, they don't go out and give up a first-round pick and convince Travis Ajak to waive his no-trade clause, and then they don't play him. Um, but I think just looking at this team and having watched this team game night in and night out, I don't think that there's a, a real role for him when you've got your four centers all healthy and and operating the way that they've been operating for most of the year. So that's my controversial lineup decision number one. Uh, hot take. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, and I backed it up. It's not total hot take. Yeah. There's, there's some, there was some analysis behind it. So what's your what's your second one, AJ? Um, you know, I think when I I would look at the power plays, I think that mm. the I like the penalty kill. I like the way that they you know when and again when everybody's healthy and you get clutter back in and you get Sezikis and you have the way that they move in Peugeot out there. I think that they do a pretty good job of that. And frankly, I think the D pairings are good. I know there's been a lot of talk about Scott Mayfield. I think he does a lot of good things out there. When I really isolate and watch him, I think he is effective at what he is supposed to do. Right. And that, to me, is the difference. People will criticize him because of maybe they expect him to be a different player. Maybe they expect him to be Devon Tapes. He's not Devon Tapes. He's not going to pull the same thing. So if I look at their power plays, I would shake it up a little bit. And I don't know, just between the two units, right? And you look at them, you know... I don't know if I would like I, I would maybe right now, I guess Dobson wasn't in the other night, but but wondering how they would put who they would put out there. I like Paul Mary at that net front. Um, I, I, but I don't know based on how they're how they would do their like if you had the lines how I did them right, then it affects how you can put the power play units together or vice versa, how you have them or how Trotz has them now. Um, but I do think that if you you need really good net front presence. And that to me is the biggest change or the biggest negative effect for Anders Lee. Well, I guess that's not really fair since he's the captain. So there's a lot that goes into it, but that's where I've really physically noticed him that uh, net front presence. I actually liked Matt Martin there. And I, I don't think that's a popular opinion. I think he's strong. I think he takes some attention. And so trying to put him in there, I don't know who I would take 
out, that's the only problem. <laughs> and maybe I'd put him on the second power play unit in place of Travis, Travis Ajak. Mm-hmm. Well, good that you brought up the power play. My, my not controversial, but, um, and I did write this the other day, I would take Ryan Pollock off the power play. And I, you know, I don't, the, having that big shot, it's so tempting. And I know that it, it, you know, he can really cause some havoc with it. But if you look at their ideal 10 that they have for the power play, they're not built to tee up shots like that. They're not, they don't move it quick enough. You know, I think you, we've, we've all seen it where they, they get into the zone and maybe there's a chance to have some chaos. A puck kicks out somewhere. Guys are, you know, their PKers aren't set. And what do they do? They reset it almost every time. And if you're going to be that deliberate, you don't really need a guy whose only contribution is a big one-timer. And I think it's reflected in how Ryan Pollock's numbers have looked this year. He's, uh, I think I figured, you know, just looking at some of the numbers, fifth most power play time, almost 100 minutes of power play time, no goals and one assist. So, so far, he hasn't created the sort of chaos or scoring that you'd want from a guy with that kind of big shot. And he's not really kind of agile enough to be the one one D in a in a four forward one defenseman setup. So I my feeling is don't keep trying to make it happen. Preserve this guy because you're gonna need him to play against Ovechkin three times in a row and against Panarin and the the, the Rangers speed guys in the next couple of weeks. So just go Letty with one unit and whoever you want with that, Dobson with the other, and let Dobson kind of run with it. I think part of the, the the faltering in Dobson's game since he's been back from his his 18-day COVID break, which was really unfortunate, is that he just hasn't seen the ice enough. He hasn't gotten a lot of touches, and I understand the hesitation because he does, hasn't looked himself lately, but if you take away that power play time, and he did, he sat out completely on Sunday, and they, defensively they were kind of a mess without him, um, I just feel like he needs to get his touches. The same way that if you have Wallstrom in the lineup, he's got to be on the power play regularly because that's that's where kids like that gain their confidence and also show some creativity and, and can be bigger contributors if you're not going to use them so much five on five. And I actually think he and Letty are both good quarterbacks based on the way they skate and the way that they, I really, and actually I think Dobson is, would be better than Letty in terms of the way he distributes the puck. Uh, he doesn't have the big shot that, that Pollock has to your point, but I, I do think he, whether they do a three and two, on one of them, you know, if they keep Pollock there, I do think they need Dobson on one of the power play units. Uh, you know, he's not listed there. I, I imagine he'll be on one of the units moving forward, if not tonight, um, at some point. And I don't know if it's coming off that COVID that Barry is just waiting for him to get back to full steam. But but that's, to your point, like Oliver Walsh, I mean, that's a place that he shines for sure. Um, and, you know, they don't want to give up any shorthanded opportunities, but that's why you need somebody who's got that defensive acumen as well, in whether it's Letty or Dobson. So it will be interesting to see. I think that having Palmieri and Zajac join the team shook things up a little bit. And, you know, you, you asked at the beginning of this podcast, is, is that maybe the reason they're faltering a little bit? I don't think overall, but I think for the power play, it definitely has changed some of the personnel and it comes with, again, losing that big body presence in front of the net. And then also adding some of these other guys who just come from different systems and it'll take some time to settle in and see where everybody fits. And, and they don't have that much time to figure out how these puzzle pieces fit uh, and hope. So hopefully they start tonight. Well, um, Barry Trotz has slightly more coaching victories than you and I do. So (laughs) I don't know if, I don't know if he's going to listen to us, but uh, everybody else out there, (laughs) if things do change and they look the way that we suggested, you know who to credit. So um, that's all we got for this week of No Sleep Till Belmont. Thanks as always, AJ. Enjoy your game tonight. 
Thank you, you as well, and let's hope the Islanders, let's hope it's a good game and the Islanders pull out the two points. We will see. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, And also, whatever platform you listen on, Apple, Spotify, make sure you subscribe. Leave us a review. It really helps us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont to sign up. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time.